Okay, now I'm recording. Now I am recording. We are both recording. Yep. You are hearing our voices. Welcome, friends, to Whale Vomit. Oh, God. Pull up a chair. It's awful. Sit down. Please. Have a chat with us. Me, Sam Chris, in London. I refuse to participate in this. <laughs> this is what the podcast sounds like now. It's a it's cozy, comforting, fireside chat with two ASMR very old friends. Commit suicide. <laughs> I thought that was just ASMR. Yeah, but I mean, some of it's got to be like particularly gauged for blowing your brains out. Some of it's maybe for like slitting your wrists in a warm tub. No, I mean, it's all just kind of, you know slow death under capitalism here's how to feel nice without anything good ever happening to you (laughs) here's here's ersatz pleasantness (laughs) you don't have sex anymore this is how you enjoy yourself you listen to sounds what the fuck are you doing why would you listen to a podcast keep all of this in (laughs) <laughs> okay uh so what's happened in the last two weeks um well i mean you're you're in the center of the uh the judicial coup right yeah um i'm sorry i'm just i i've i've tapped out of the takes <laughs> yeah I've like not... tell tell me when something happens i mean tell I've... me when something is is like a, a real prospect let me know then because i'm i'm sick of watching every single you know histrionic display that will never end in anything yeah i mean but, I've uh, been, yeah I've, I've been like mostly too busy getting kind of constantly furious about british politics to really follow what's happening in america so uh you're going to be listening to a, a podcast political podcast by two people who don't know what they talk what they're talking about but um from twitter tonight as we record this is thursday the 18th of the 18th uh, of may um i'm in the 17th oh yeah i know it's past midnight um yeah we're uh, in different countries folks (laughs) that's Um, why there's a delay with our dialogue and this conversation is very stilted because it's it's why everything we say sounds fake um yeah yeah, from from twitter i get the impression there should be uh tanks rolling outside the park slope mansion uh as the american (laughs) deep state finally rids itself of that damn trump yeah yeah um it seems like a lot of sound and fury. Maybe I'll be surprised. Yeah. I'm a little tapped out. I'm, I'm mainly just looking for the weirdest here. takes. Yeah. Well, one of the bookies here is uh, offering two to one odds on uh, Trump being impeached, uh, which they advertise by showing Trump behind the bars of the American flag uh, with a hammer and sickle on his tie, which I thought was a, nice, uh, a very nice touch. You know, I love that, like, our generation does know that the Cold War is over. Uh, But I feel like maybe Xers and above, I mean, maybe they were sort of, I thought that that we were kind of on the same page. Um, I don't know. Like, when I was on the the Women's March in D.C., you know, like, you'd see people with placards with a hammer and sickle on them. And it was never entirely yeah, clear if, like, they were comrades or if they were trying to mock Trump with it. Yeah, I know, but, like, I was there. I didn't see any of that. It was, like, hard to get a sense of, like, how prevalent it was. And maybe I just didn't. I had, like, a good, uh, I had, like, a good crop or something. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, this is, I, I feel optimistic about this. But apparently, um, it's, uh, well, I mean, but also the Women's March, March was so huge. Like, yeah, it had true. so many people in it. I, I just like to see hammers and sickles, because, you know, either it means that people are on our side or that they're terrified of us. Either way, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if we don't have any power, it's cool to be thought of as threatening. Yeah. That's why I yeah, own a leather I'm... jacket. 
yeah, I, I love a good red scare. You know, it makes me feel a lot. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm breaking more rules when I hide under people's beds. <laughs> As opposed to normally when it's just the breaking and entering. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I like to to blend the sexual and the political. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I yeah, mean, I, I, my I guess, favorite. Uh, yeah, Jesus Christ. You? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess we should lay out the uh, official whale vomit position on this, which is that Trump rules and that we don't want him to be uh, to be impeached, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it would do anything positive at all. I think that... We, I, I thought that maybe just a lot of people thought that then, you know, Hillary would get to win... So I thought that's why people were pushing for it, but uh, I I don't I I'm not really sure what they think they're going to get out of this. I think it's a lot of uh, uh, Fisher's um, impotent histrionics full of demands that they never expect to be met. I mean, there was a um, there was a fascinating tweet yesterday uh, from a um, I think a uh, Democrat in Congress uh, who said. Dear GOP, if Trump leaves, you get Vice President Pence. You can still get your stupid tax cut for the rich, but at least our nation won't be in chaos. Which, um, nothing has made me support Trump more than this, frankly. Um, Yeah. We want chaos. Chaos is good. Well, they want, it's like, oh no, I I want a really competent fascist. Like, because deep down (laughs) they're technocrats. They're technocrats more than anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it well. It's like, it's a, essentially, yeah. it's like the kind of opposite of the uh, participation trophy mentality. It's like his kind of dark twin, you know. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah, the obverse of it doesn't matter how well you do as long as you participate, but they're all secretly thinking um, as long as you do well, you could kill my entire family. I just, I will respect you if you do it with grace and poise and bureaucratic efficiency. Yeah, like, I wish you hadn't murdered my firstborn son, but I'll be damned if I don't admire uh, the efficiency, the speed, the style. The emotion. It was a really creative murder. Yeah, it was a really creative murder, and uh, I got to give credit. As long as no one's appearing to enjoy it. I, th- I think a lot of the problem with with Trump is that like like that that picture of him, uh, you know, when he got in the big rig and he got to blow on the horn. Yeah, you're so um, happy. Yeah, like like I mean, it was fantastic because he is a child. But I think it made a lot of people very unhappy, just because he was clearly having fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've put, t- brought this up before, but I think liberals especially like to believe that um, that. Uh, the cruel and stupid are miserable Mm. and that we can be smug in our relative happiness compared to them. And that's simply not true. They're having a really good time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, this is something we talked about before, but it kind of feeds into this idea that any dystopia has to be joyless. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of the dark future we have to fear is one without pop culture, one without, you know, music and dancing, you know. Right. And the truth is, is that, you know, the fascists like to party. Mm. Um, But I mean, I think I think more generally people have this kind of well, the people who want to get rid of Trump seem to genuinely believe that uh, things can go back to normal, Um, you know, like like. Like they're used to dealing with Republicans, they're used to dealing with kind of bureaucratic evil on a global scale. what what they don't like is this kind of massive unleashing of all the kind of reckless powers of inhuman self-abandon. Uh, and they seem to think that if they can just get rid of Trump, it, it will all kind of, uh, it will all dissipate and government can go back to being about numbers again, um, which I think is absolutely false. America has crossed the last bridge or ever cross. You know, it's not, it's not just that Trump's having a great time. The, the entire country is is feeling like the kind of the real 
joy of bitterness and fury and division and that's never ever going to go away again once you make a reality tv show star president you're not ever going to have a normal country yeah well i keep looking at the five stages of grief (laughs) denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and i feel like every time yeah bargaining when you're like well we can figure out a way around this yeah I, I think we're stuck on bargaining, which is you yeah. know, making deals is how we got into government. Yeah, I think we'll know that uh, this phase is over when we hit depression and we really just acknowledge that this is a larger problem than Donald Trump. Um, but we're still I mean, the, the the idea of impeachment is classic bargaining. Like it's classic mm. bargaining. It's like, oh, I can, I can figure out a way out of this cancer, or, or no, you must be wrong. My wife is fine, um, <laughs> but uh, and they're like, I, I can pay you to whatever reanimate her in some way, um, but we're to bargaining. I mean, like, I guess you could argue. I guess you could argue that uh, capitalism in general is a kind of bargaining stage in the grief of the essential human dislocation from our own species being with uh go on <laughs> i feel like this is a good um, this is a good sam chris moment yeah 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 um well i mean uh thinking about um you know the like the taxonomy of human history as being um savages barbarians civilized men uh, the savage society is a kind of uh, it's a kind of denial. It's a, it's an attempt to kind of continuously reinscribe our primordial connection to ourselves, even though that was arguably lost with the invention of flint napping. Um, barbarianism is uh, is anger, uh, and civilization is bargaining. Uh, then I guess socialism is depression, uh, and communism is acceptance. <laughs> and then I guess some form of kind of reunification. Yeah. Like, like right. at, at that point, the dialectic will finally progress to a point where we have a new unity. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well done. <laughs> that's your sound press bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but mainly I've been looking at what I think are the weirdest uh, takes and... Um, <laughs> Uh, my favorite was Comey's memos were a product of a culture of note keeping by Rebecca Ruiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, New York you Times. just showed me this. It's fantastic. It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest take I've ever read about a subject like this. It was a. It, it, it's like it's like a culture it's like, of note keeping. It's like they uh they saw um the picture of like the little girl running from the napalm and and there were like athleticism yeah or like a, it's, you know it's a it's a largely agrarian culture they eat a lot of rice like it's just like a weird thing to seize upon it's like a it's it's an autistic uh you know focus on an autistic subject sort of like <laughs> bureaucracy and regulation pattern making i mean i i think it's actually good um I can't remember who. Uh, I you think, think it might have been... I mean, I don't think it's wrong. It's just yeah, no, no. I think it's Well, yeah, but it's, it's that kind of insanity that, that shines this kind of very lucid light on, on the assumptions we take for granted. You know, though, I think it might have been J.G. Ballard who said that the, the job of the writer is always to look at the world with, 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 with strange eyes, to, you know, like kind of look out the window and go... Why cars? Why little houses on wheels? Why, why is that what we have? Why is that what we spend half of our day in? Um, and I think this article is doing basically exactly the same thing. You know, like, like just by kind of, just by concentrating on something as mundane as note-keeping, it, it kind of, it, I think it at least hope, hopes to lead you to a point where you kind of go, why do we reproduce everything we do in tiny little scrawled messages? What 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 psychosis is animating but, this? But it's not it's not that it's not like a fundamental uh, you know um, yeah, question I mean, like, of human behavior. No, shut up! I'm still talking. <laughs> question. Don't interrupt me. 
question of human behavior, it literally thinks that it's it's an office culture. Like this mm. is this is less philosophical and more neoliberal than you're giving credit for. One of the subheads is literally, why do FBI employees write memos? And you know they wanted to put something like, is there a way we can disrupt this? <laughs> yeah, I think I might be talking about the article that I wish it was rather than the the one it actually is. But um, no, I, I don't see the. Uh, is there a way we can disrupt this angle? I think it's more like a kind of, it's like an article that kind of goes, why is it that daddy has to leave the house every day and go to a big office? It, it's, it's Yeah, kind of, a question yeah. children would ask. Yeah, yeah. But um, but like, like surely our job as socialists is to kind of go, no, why does he have to do that? Because capitalism. Like, that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole answer. Mm. We already know that. Yeah. But... But, no, well, I mean you I, go down into it. They say in the S- contingent. <sighs> Look at this. This is Adam Goldman tweet that they use. You know, it's a good article for the New York Times when there's a tweet, uh, and they have their they took Adam Goldman's tweet and and he says in the CIA there's a saying. He said saying. <laughs> mm, doesn't even have. Yeah, Adam 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 Goldman, uh, you know, uh, Southern dandy. Uh, but he says, in the CIA, there is a saying, if you didn't write it down, it doesn't exist. First of all, that's not just a saying in the CIA. That's just a saying. Well, actually, he stole that from Derrida. <laughs> uh, yeah, they said, in the FBI, everything exists because everything is written, de- written down. I mean, that's, that's literally also everywhere else. But that's everywhere else, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like how they say, like, a culture of note-keeping. Uh, as if it was like this kind of bizarre little little quirk they had in the FBI, you know, like one of yeah. their initiation instead of just Instead of hey, just a thing that happens company, in every university or office place. we just keep place. notes for 20 years and then die. Yeah, that's just what... I mean, I, I like that you're trying to turn it into a bad George Carlin joke, but like... <laughs> but like, that's literally everywhere. Everywhere takes notes. Do, do they not take notes at the New York Times? I hope that they do. To be fair, we don't take record. notes. No, but we're bad at our jobs. <laughs> it's just an insane article. Yeah, Why keep um, the records? Well, That's one of the things. Well, I mean, I think I think the uh, I think the great thing about the the Trump era is that all of the kind of centri- like all of the kind of boring pedantic centrists have genuinely gone very insane. Um, it, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I mean, like it's it's fascinating to watch because they're still kind of maintaining the these kind of particular limits of uh, of of acceptability within a discourse that has genuinely gone fucking nuts. Um, I mean, this happened months ago, but um, Jonathan Friedland in the Guardian, who is one of our most infinitely dispiriting, sensible, is this costed kind of centre-left writers uh, who also went to my school and goes to my synagogue. Uh, so I, I think I kind of hate him because he always represents this kind of image of what I could have ended up as. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, but, you're not uh, capable of hating anyone as much as you hate the person that reminds you of yourself. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's like my kind of straight-laced cousin. I despise the man. Um <laughs> But uh, after Trump's strike on Syria, he kind of, he did a few paragraphs of kind of very sensible waffling. And then he essentially wrote that the uh, strike on Syria was bad because, I think we might have talked about this before, actually, uh, because uh, he warned Russia beforehand, no Russians were killed and it didn't have any chance of sparking World War Three and killing us all in a nuclear war. Um, and, and, and that's the level that, that the sensible are on now. <laughs> yeah so i guess in a way it's good that uh and you know good in that it's like harmless that they're sitting in a corner being like why do i cut my <laughs> hair if it's, why do i cut my hair if it's just gonna grow back <laughs> just staring at their hands being like why five fingers <laughs> uh i'm gonna get a cookie hang on all right
Uh, someone's just tweeted, uh, I will destroy Sam, Chris, in hand-to-hand combat. And they're followed by Contan. Have we been talking this whole time? No. (laughs) (laughs) For the tape, Amber um, is extremely high. (laughs) Sam is drunk. (laughs) Well, vomit, baby. (laughs) The real show. Okay, so yeah. We're anti-wasting any kind of hysteria on even the you know, um, fantasy that you are able and should impeach Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it were to happen, which I don't think it will, Trump's impeachment... Of course it won't! Trump's impeachment would... It, it would just bring in the 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 dead, grey zombies of the Republican Party and say what you will about Trump. At least, At least he's a living madman. <laughs> I mean, if anything, the best argument is his incompetence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like, would you rather have an evil dictator who has no idea what he's doing and got most of his ideas about how to be president from action films where an asteroid is about to collide with the Earth, <laughs> or would you rather have one who got his ideas about how a president should behave from the Bible? Yeah. I think we want um, the bumbling id child much more than we want the, um, yeah, Machiavellian yeah. villain. Yeah, you, you, you want a president whose legitimacy is constantly under question because the, the legitimacy of all power should constantly be under question. And if it takes a person in power to be a fucking clown for that to happen, then so be it. Agreed. Um, uh, what were we uh, going to talk about next? Oh, were we going to talk about you? Uh, I, I mean, we I always mean, talk about me. Anything good going on? It's just basically I've been following the really contentious, shitty Brexit stuff. Yeah. And there was that leak because she's just like, no one likes her, which rules. No, it's it's not true. What, you mean Theresa May? Yeah. No, people fucking love her. It's terrifying. No, but she's mummy. trying to call these... No, and, and I'm saying her colleagues and co-workers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're so mad. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's it's weird with the with the Tories because they, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of constantly torn by the kind of reptile instinct for self-advancement and then the fact that they're kind of all overgrown, highly Oedipalized children, and they just want mummy to be proud of them. Wow. Man, English people, they got problems. We, we are the most psychically mutilated people on earth. Um, I mean, the uh, the Labour Party released their manifesto, and, like, it's not... It's not full communism, but it's good. It's good? Yeah, it's well, good. good. You know, they... Good. They, they want to reverse the worst of austerity, which, you know, for me is a minimum. But, you know, they want to bring the railways into uh, uh, back into public ownership, which I am in particularly in favour of. I've, I, I need more trains. Um, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're saving the NHS. So they've actually got a surprisingly decent line on Brexit. Um and it's very likely to be uh, to be massively rejected by British public who went off for the chance of something good when, nope, I think we'll have the Nazis instead. Um, <laughs> which made me go back and read the, um, the 1983 Labour Manifesto, which is like their most recent, most left-wing manifesto, uh, which was dubbed the longest suicide note in history because they were absolutely crushed in the election. Uh, and it's terrifying reading it because the situation is fundamentally exactly the same. Uh, there are even references to how they're going to put more money into uh, rural bus services that the Conservatives have cut. Uh, because essentially in this country, nothing ever really changes. It just gets very, very slowly worse. Mm, 
Hang on, I'm chewing, but I have a thing on that. I feel like, okay. I feel like I'm always forced to, like, reference the same two chapters of capitalist realism and it makes me into one of those assholes, but I'm gonna do it anyway. We're all one of those assholes now. Yeah. Um, it's Trump's America, baby. Um, he does compare uh, the... He says he di- he diagnoses it even worse when he was talking about the French student movements and the English student movements. He said the English are just marked by total inactivity. He's like the French, however, are very active, but it's only to hang on to benefits, to you know alleviate mm. austerity, to you know maybe reverse some of the cuts. It's not um, it's not some grand ambitious tradition that so that even when they use like sixty eight slogans. All that they're trying to do is preserve something that is so below the standards of like that 68 ambition. Mm. And the English just don't even do that. (laughs) They just watch (laughs) it slowly get worse. Well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, the uh, post-war welfare state was the result of a uh, very particular degree of class struggle and a very uh, particular class compact that held for a while and the idea that we can keep it today is is basically ridiculous we're not going to have the post-war welfare state we need to build something else and this is like why i'm actually quite into the the labor party at the moment which is a weird and horrifying experience for me i mean if it were just reversing the cuts (laughs) yeah i know i know but um if if it were just reversing the cuts and i would hope that they win but i wouldn't really be enthusiastic about it it's the fact that they're actually talking about renationalizing the economy about building a new type of socialism um you know i've been been saying it for years like it's not enough to be anti-austerity you have to be pro-communism yeah you you need this shared object which is why a lot of their messaging is kind of annoying me though because it's still a lot of it still kind of descended from that old kind of Fabianism that um, we need to have concern for the poorest and weakest people among us, which is incredibly yeah. important and, and essential, but it's not enough. Um, I did a tweet storm about it, you know, like La- Labour needs to be talking less about provision because then immediately the right wing can come in with, oh, well, how are you going to pay for this? Oh, you're just handing out money. They need to start really frontlining the ownership angle um it's not about government giving you stuff it's about the population collectively owning the means of life and its reproduction in society yeah i mean it's it's uh, redistributionism sorry one more time redistributionism is um a lovely idea but i think history has shown over and over again that it's very tenuous and I mean, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have capitalism. Shut up! You keep interrupting me. <laughs> you do. Whale vomit cage fight. It's not a cage fight. I'm just being mansplained. Now I forget <laughs> what I was going to say. Uh, redistributionism. Yeah, I mean the thing about redistributionism is that it sounds like a, a lovely uh, way to just sort of focus on um you know like a a, an alleviation to poverty um but i mean history has shown over and over again that you know redistributionism one does not require democracy to function uh and two is incredibly tenuous like it, it it's it's very easy to chip away at because if you know there's not I mean, again, this is a very Americanized kind of word or Americanized understanding of this. But, like, if it's not a democratically controlled economy, it doesn't matter because someone is always going to be, you know, dishing out checks. And if that person is beholden to no one or no party, then then it's just it's just only a matter of time before they say, well, we have to tighten the belt. Immigrants mm. are coming in. Well, yeah, it's, it's a form of um, it's a form of doling out the surplus. I mean, at the moment, yeah. it's the only thing that can save capitalism is the, um, you know, the, the universal basic income is is not a socialist policy. It's no, an ameliorative it. policy. And, you know, as... Like, what like, baffles expect- me is that people seem... Uh, 
they're like, well, how can you be against that? I'm like, I'm not against it. I just think it's a very tenuous kind of mm. program that would immediately become irrelevant. They're like, well, why do you think that? I'm like, well, look at what people live on in Social Security. Yeah. Look at look at what people you know live on with disability. Look what people live on with all of these you know government programs that were really good when they started out, but then never kept up with the standard of living. And and mm. are constantly under threat. But yeah, I mean, if you if you only think about uh, resource allocation rather than ownership, then then you'll never you'll never get anywhere that's seriously liberating. You know, um, when I think Marx was asked to summarize the um, the program of communism in a single sentence, he said abolition of private property. Uh, he didn't say an equal share for everyone. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I'm running this thing on housing right now because like there's very little left writing on housing. There's a lot on gentrification, but the thing is mm. there's a massive... Is a massive housing crisis that is uh, so much bigger than gentrification. Gentrification isn't even, you know, the main motor of it. I mean, the truth well, is, is that like there's people like gentrification because ha- it's got white people as a protagonist. Uh, n- no, gentrification is a very bad word in America. <laughs> They're the antagonists. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but like for for like for white lefty radicals. They like talking about it because because it's a way to talk about their own personal anxieties and guilt. Oh with yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. That's absolutely it. And also, I mean, they like to look at politics aesthetically, and that has a very convenient aesthetic of race most mm-hmm. of the time, although not all of the time. Um, and because uh, you know, white areas also get gentrified. Um, uh, but. Anyway, but people are really focused on gentrification. They're not focused on sort of the larger housing crisis. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the stuff that, um, you know, places like Jacobin have published on housing, which hasn't been a lot, but has been very good. It's been like, well, we need public housing. And it needs to go further than that. And I'm adding that, you know, we need to have public housing that at least makes it to the middle class because anything that we designate it only entirely for the poor will be a p- shitty service. Uh, and it will be constantly under threat. It has to mm. at least have middle class people using it. We need to have public housing that, first of all, is so good that middle class people want it. Uh, and then it, you know, whatever rising tides raids all boats. Uh, and also creates like a, a huge population that's invested in public housing. I mean, we we had that in the UK with council. Yeah, you did have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but also, then, you did really uh, good then we mixed had, income stuff. We had stuff. right to buy, and, and we lost yeah, yeah. it all. Uh, yeah. Although, although, you know, again, Corbyn's trying to bring it back. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It has yeah. to be that I mean, way. It's one of his. It's most also the only policies. way. Yeah, it's also one of the only ways you can actually construct. You can desegregate an urban area. Mm. I mean, it's. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which it can become kind of informally segregated. Oh, yeah, no, no that's what I'm saying, is that, like, it, it, like right now we are informally segregated. Like, extremely, especially mm. in, like, a place like New York or Chicago. And the only way to desegregate those areas, it requires mixed-income housing, uh, you know, arrangements so that there aren't, like, giant, uh, you know, beehives full of extremely destitute people that are far away from, you know, trains and services and places to work and their their you know, neighborhoods are treated completely differently by the police and by public services. You have to actually eliminate the idea of a poor neighborhood. Mm. And of course well, that's I mean, always it's, been it's... difficult because people don't want to live around poor people, but guess what? You're gonna live around poor people. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's also easy to to institute kind of micro segregations. You know, um, here instead of actually building council houses, there's been this policy where new developments have to include a certain percentage of affordable housing, and then eventually that's kind of chipped away until a lot of them don't even do that. But often when they do, the affordable housing units, uh, and this is affordable, I like it's only cost one million times yeah, the yeah. average annual rate. Uh, no, it's, it's the exact yeah. same here. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, often in these, uh, in these housing units, the affordable housing will have a, uh, will have a separate entrance. Uh, corridor. Have, like, separate utilities. Corridor. Yeah. yeah. 
We have poor doors here. Yeah, that's uh, a thing that got bigger with de Blasio, too, because he said, well, we're going to create more affordable housing, not public housing, because they don't like the idea of public housing, because they made public housing that's like, you know, dirty and dilapidated and unsafe. And so, of course, people don't like it. And then they're like, well, I guess that was a failure. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a big push here to present all council housing estates as these kind of crime-ridden sinkholes where your granny would get mugged at the drop of a hat. They were just pushing old people from the roofs 10 a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, 1970s it, it, punk ISIS. It was, a, yeah, it was, it was a vilification of a public good. A really good documentary, by the way, is uh, The Pruitt-Igo Myth. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's really interesting. It's because it talks about how Brown v. Board of Education, um, you know, desegregated project housing, which created, and then... It was suburban flight, and of course, when people had um, you know control over neighborhoods, uh, they black people weren't able to uh, benefit from. First of all, this just banks were racist. But even if they could get a loan, these neighborhoods would keep out black people. Uh, you know, they just like wouldn't allow the person to sell to a black family, um, and it and it further segregated. Um, public housing and Pruitt-Igo, these, these project houses went from being this beautiful place that people like really remembered fondly. Like they interviewed a lot of people that lived there, uh, to just being an absolute shithole because no one, you know, cared about it and they don't give, it's easier to vilify like a, a large group of extremely poor black people. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, it's a, it's a crime-ridden, filthy area. <clears throat> anyway, really well, yeah. fascinating documentary. Yeah, well, it's what they're doing with the NHS at the moment. They're, um, you know, that well, I mean, they claim to be uh, putting tens of billions of extra funds into the NHS, but because we have a growing population, this means that per patient is actually a fairly significant cut. Uh, and the idea is they're just going to make the NHS get shitter and shitter and shitter and have more yeah. people die needlessly in hospitals until eventually people lose their attachment to it and uh, they'll be willing to accept privatisation. That's what the US is doing with the post office as well. They made these massive... They, they enforced a, a really ridiculous uh you know intentionally unsurmountable um uh pension law i believe upon them and so they went like nearly bankrupt they had to lay off tons of people and now you have like yeah, my so it's post a metonym office for, for government inefficiency right yeah i mean it, it it's amazing and and it works too because you'll be in line at the post office and there'll be like two people working in one of the most, you know, population dense service areas and people will be saying, you know, they should just shut this down. It's like, no, they should just hire more people. <laughs> but anyway, uh, oh. yeah, communism, that's your yeah, takeaway. It. Yeah, it's the only, it's the only thing that, that can stand against the waves of reaction. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> would you like to move on to the yeah. what is it art segment? <laughs> yeah, everyone's everyone's favorite segment where we look at a thing and ask, "Is it art?" <laughs> well, and, I had uh, an. Well, yeah, you went out to see some art, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would characterize it that way. Uh, That's an open uh, question. A writer and editor friend of mine got a hold of me and said hey you want to go to a vodka tasting and i was like why yes i do um so i went out to drink vodka i did not go out to see some art um and you know hang out with my friend but uh i get there and it's like this soho uh like gallery and it is a it's it's an event sponsored by the um, the vodka company, and they have hired an artist to create custom art for a promotional event. And then they serve you the cocktails, and I'm like with my friend, and we're like, yeah, hell yeah, free booze. 
And someone comes up to him and said, would you like to speak with the artist? And my friend's like, what? Because <laughs> like, like, we were not thinking this as you know, an, an, an art event. We were, we were there for the booze. Really, the only reason to ever go see art, in my opinion. And we go, and they're, okay. So it's like one of these all-white, you know, Soho galleries, whatever. You've probably seen something like it in a movie. And yeah. in the back, they have two, like, large, like, banner-style canvases on the wall. And this kind of, it looks like book marbling kind of paintwork on it. And there are... Yeah, yeah it, it, looks, it looks like a skin disease. <laughs> but uh, in extremely bright colors. And I notice as I'm talking to my friend, I'm like, oh, those are women. He's like, what? Uh, and I'm like, those are naked women that are painted in camouflage with the canvas. And that was the art. <laughs> and uh, he he's a body painter. Uh, he's the most Europe. As you notice, he's like the most European man. Yeah, yeah. On uh, earth, he's called he's uh, just, Johannes Stutter. He's just a foreskin in uh, <laughs> in whisker yeah, in, wash in like jeans, a, in, like a, in like a headband. Yeah, he's 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 a foreskin with a headband in whisker wash jeans. Um, <laughs> And... There's a fantastic quote on the website. Um, yeah. It says, uh, Leaving behind the cold, hard canvas for a soft, living body presented new challenges, but the change brought his work from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Find out more about Stotter's experiences in Find Flavor and see how Three Olives' newest flavors, fresh watermelon and cucumber lime, inspired two of his latest original works. And then the most fantastic quote I've ever read. Colors can be seen as flavor for the eyes. <laughs> it was the weirdest fucking thing. And we were just drinking vodka and... Okay, so they had like a Q&A sesh, sex, session. Music is, is a hug for the ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't hug your family with nuclear arms. Um, and sex they, and- is art for the dick. <laughs> I mean that and is they, what it's basically about. Oh, oh, the whole thing was really fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I swear, I swear, body painting is is not an art form; it's a fetish thing. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So they asked the guy though, and they were pretending like it wasn't anything but a fetish. And they, you know, they have like a Q and A session, and they're like, "So what? What made you decide to switch to bodies as canvases?" And I like look over at my friend. I'm like. Uh, because I like to be around naked women that have to <laughs> hold still and get paid for letting me do whatever I want to their bodies. Um, and I realized someone heard me say that and was like not amused. Uh, <laughs> but he was like, it is flesh, it is alive. Like that was his actual answer, as if like that is makes something a good material. Yeah, like I mean, and, and these were like hot young female models. There's all kinds of like living material he could be painting on. He seemed to have a very specific preference for a very a certain age, gender, and body type of mm. living material. I mean, like in in terms of art, it kind of it does have precedent, you know, like. Um... You know the the definition of the body is. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean there was also Dolly's, um, uh, I, I can't naked. remember the name in the sixties uh, or seventies. I believe there was a French feminist artist who created works by um, uh, uh, making nude women kind of cover their their bodies in paint and then running against a wall, and the art would be the print that they left and the actual performance of them making it. Um, Although arguably uh, a woman herself making an imprint of herself using her body is slightly different from an extremely horny man painting on a naked woman. Right. So uh, there's also um, Salvador Dali's uh, In Voluptus Mars. Yes. Yeah. But again, it's not like he like is putting them in that fo- like like it's. 
he's not painting them. He's not, he's not, you know, poking them with his paintbrush stick. They're just like in a form and he took a picture. So this. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like the Dali one has something to say about the, uh, you know, um, I mean, I mean, not just a kind of, you know, over I just think he's... prudish meaning, but like it, it has something to say about, you know, the arrangement of bodies and the, the manipulation of bodies and, and its its connection with, you know, the, a certain lifelessness of the body and it's leading to death. This guy. Yeah, I, I would say it's uh, it's not art. Uh, I would uh, say... Yeah, I, that's not really a stretch, but like. <laughs> I, I, I want to add the one thing that might make you uh, uh, at least think twice. Uh, the one awesome thing about it is that, so the girls were naked except for like, I think thongs. And with this one girl, I could see that she was clearly wearing her maxi pad. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've changed my mind. Uh, if it's art she now. did that deliberately, then that one was art and the other one wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and part of us was just like, you know, if he really wanted, you know, the colors of the. Oh, they asked him what inspired him, too. And it's just like. Well, uh, the new flavors, titties. fresh watermelon and cucumber lime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's and he was like literally saying, Who would not you be know, inspired by that. The alcohol uh, that is sponsoring this event and paying <laughs> me—that is my inspiration. Which is... <laughs> okay, that was art. That statement was art. Yeah, and also like lots of precedent for that. I mean, like he—it's just like three olives vodka is his, um, you know, Medici's or whatever. <laughs> um. But like it, they're like if 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 she had not worn the maxi pad and just bled on the canvas, uh, then it would also be art. I think yeah. I'm just saying it was a missed opportunity. Well, for I think her. the maxi pad is, uh, you know, it's kind of like what uh, what Roland Barthes calls the the punctum, the kind of uh, the 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 point of interest where where the unity of an image is disturbed. Um, yeah, yeah, that was totally it. Yeah. Because like they definitely didn't plan on her, but she probably had. She I know she had to stand there for at least a few hours. So she's like, "Well, I don't want to take my chances with a tampon. They probably won't be able to see it, (laughs) but everyone totally could, and it was great." I mean, wasn't there wasn't there uh, a thing like uh, maybe in the nineties, two thousands, where like kind of no art world celebrity event was complete without a, a naked woman that you would eat sushi off of? Uh, I I don't know. I just think of that as being a a movies thing. Although no, my friend just went to a party where that was there, and he was oh, and it was still doing it. Yeah, and he was like, it was a a party for a comedian, and they're like, ah, it's you know, isn't it funny? Isn't this ironic? He's like, no, you're just a rich <laughs> asshole. He's like, no, it's like once yeah. you're actually doing it, you're just a rich asshole. <laughs> god uh there are there are pictures it was by the uh, way by the way uh lucy cut this out but nick was at eric andre's birthday party and just to gossip and and it was like huh look at we brought in we brought in the chick with the sushi ironically like yeah we ordered a bunch of prostitutes but you know like ironically i'm fucking her but like you know ironically you're so fucking douchey um i mean I mean, I feel like this is one of the things that's only ever been done ironically. You know, like 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 the it's it's not like the irony is a double meaning. To do it seriously would be to introduce a double meaning. No, people definitely do that seriously. That there are people who think that's like classy and cool and sophisticated and what rich people should be doing with their money. Holy shit! Well, I, I think this kind of ties into the general theme of the episode which is everything is fucked and we need communism now <laughs> kill these people i know just like cut off their heads just cut off yeah, their heads and then no serve trial. sushi on them <laughs> just stuff their mouth full of sushi before you kill them <laughs> well yeah it'd be like when the uh when the uh, I think the Incas would uh, pour molten gold down the throat of conquistadors. Now we're doing sushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I'm looking forward to the next terror. We're gonna be so much better at it. Mm. 
I mean, we have we have meme culture, torture and sadism from from video games, right? But also we have meme culture, which I think will spawn on all you know a, a lot of different kinds of torture and sadism, uh, with just levels of irony that you know have superseded any any kind of uh, class war prior to this. Well, I mean, uh, I guess it depends which class ends up doing the torturing. Um, right-wing meme culture is a form of torture in and of itself. Yeah, but their memes are bad. Yeah. They I just their, in- their entire meme culture is, other than the Pepe, okay, right-wing, the Pepe's have their own meme culture, but they're not, they're such a small group of artistically dynamic right-wingers. Most right-wing memes are like an American eagle crying on an aborted fetus. Oh, th- those are fantastic. I love them so much more than the Pepe's. I mean, I guess the, the one good Pepe uh, I've ever seen was someone did one of uh, Pepe as a concentration camp guard locking me personally in the gas chamber. Oh, that's nice. Did I, you keep it? Um, I mean, it's out there on the internet. You know, I I think I I think I tweeted it out. Um, oh, I would have I that, would have that, print, printed it out and put it in my scrapbook. <laughs> I should have made it my uh, my profile picture. But, um, <laughs> no, I I feel like the the kind of the grand tradition of American chintz. You know, the uh, the the bald eagle over the Thomas Kincaid landscape. I find it fascinating. Um, I, I think it's magnificent because generally the British equivalent is uh, taking a picture of um, like Brighton Pavilion uh, or that Orthodox church uh, in um, God, where the fuck is it? Uh, that that Orthodox church in Victoria and then putting it on the internet and saying, can you believe it? They put a mosque here. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm looking at the Brighton Pavilion. That's cool. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's great a product of uh, big tacky of, building. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's, well, it's like uh, the eclecticism of British imperialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 got tea and and silk <laughs> and weird ass buildings that they don't quite execute very well. Yeah, um, and yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah, something like uh, 10,000 people on the EDL Facebook page are disgusted and think that they should throw bacon at it and tear it down. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, I mean, they're, they're really against cultural appropriation, that's why. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Well, that's right-wingers' uh, domain. I mean, I think the... Um, I don't know, it's just like, they're like, well, what if we had our own Taj Mahal, but, like, prissy and unerotic? And worse. Yeah, yeah, just worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the whole of the whole of Britain is uh, is an exercise in what if this, but worse. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I've seen what you do to fish. <laughs> Actually, I, I I love I love shitty English fish because it doesn't taste like fish. It doesn't taste of anything. Yeah, that's why I like it. It's really more of a vessel for the sauce. Yeah. I feel like this bit is definitely going to get cut. Yeah, sorry, Lucy. We, I feel like we were doing well there for a minute, and then we decided to take it a really bad, terrible, boring direction. Yeah, just, just looking at pictures of architecture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so I think we've arrived at the conclusion that yeah. uh, what I saw last night was not art. Um, however, I did get drunk, so... <laughs> and with that... <laughs> Yeah. We, we thank you case. for joining us. Yeah. And uh see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right.